Welcome to GT Overdone, the podcast that reviews, rehashes, and relives the adventures of Jeremy Clarkson, James May, and Richard Hammond on the Grand Tour and beyond. I am Crockett, and I'm coming to you from behind our reasonably priced microphone. On this show, ladies and gentlemen, you can expect three things. One, world-class professional recording and editing. Two, the only... I didn't touch anything, Charles. Exclusive what? Hot new mix. I'm sure I didn't touch. And he says to me, "Right, Crockett, but there's worthless, and then there's politicians." <laughs> so, but let's stay on track. Pun unintended, but convenient. All right. In this, our first episode called "The Three, we will cover the very first Grand Tour episode. But before we jump in and discuss the episode, we've got to step back and talk about the big picture. If you're interested in this program, then chances are you know the general backstory, so we'll keep this high level and brief. So after Jeremy Clarkson was let go from the BBC's Top Gear program, his co-presenters, Richard Hammond and James May, chose not to renew their contracts without him. This turn of events led to a frenzy of speculation, right? Here you had three men that had helmed the, quote, most widely watched factual television program in the world, end quote, according to the Guinness Book of World Records. And suddenly they're looking for a new job. Top Gear had played in 214 territories worldwide with an estimated global audience of 350 million. Clarkson, May, and Hammond had something special and they weren't ready to retire. So where would they end up? So fast forward through rumors and speculation and we find out that Amazon landed a deal with the trio. Notice I didn't say that the other way around. In the three, we'll do a new car show exclusively on Amazon Prime. They would go from television to internet streaming, from England to America and beyond. And the first episode became available in November 2016. So after the success of Top Gear with the BBC, I wondered what an Amazon-owned show would look like. It's presented by the same three men and directed by the same director... Andy Woman, what would be different? What would be the same? Could the magic of our beloved Top Gear continue after the big shakeup? I wondered what Clarkson, May, and Hammond would do with a blank slate, right? And apparently lots of other people wondered the same thing. So season one reportedly cost $78 million to make. And if that is anywhere near true, it begs the question, did Amazon end up making any money with their gamble on three aging motoring goofs. If you believe the leaked Amazon figures, then yes, Bezos did very well. According to Radio Times, there is a metric that Amazon uses. It's called the cost per stream, okay? This metric divides how much the show costs to make by the number of people who watch that show first after signing up for Prime, okay? So the assumption is that the first show a viewer watches after signing up is the reason they signed up for Prime. So if a person signs up for Amazon Prime and watches the Grand Tour first, then the Grand Tour is given the credit for that Prime sign-up. So not 
not scientific, but not unreasonable either. So the, the supposedly leaked Amazon figures go like this. Using this metric, the figures show that season one of Grand Tour was the best performing Amazon original series. The show pulled in more than 1.5 million first streams, okay? More than 1.5 million first streams, meaning the show had a cost per stream of around $49 per subscriber. So it cost them $49 per subscriber, but each subscriber paid $99 for Prime. Not a bad profit margin. And by contrast, another, another show that they recently had, the first season of a show called Sneaky Pete, that had a cost per stream of $959. Again, versus $49 for the Grand Tour. So what did viewers find when they streamed the first ever episode of the Grand Tour? First of all, what an opening, right? What a kickoff. It begins with Jeremy leaving the BBC building, in the rain no less, handing off his, his badge, presumably. Goes to the airport, destination Los Angeles. Gets off the plane, walking through the parking garage, and there sits a blue Ford Mustang. I can see clearly now by the hothouse flowers begins playing softly as he leaves the city and hits the open road where he is joined by his mates, Hammond and May, also in Mustangs, of course, to complete a red, white, and blue theme. The three make their way to Rabbit Dry Lake where we have an epic shot of all kinds of different vehicles joining them, driving alongside each of them until they reach a huge stage where there's a massive crowd gathered. In the fleet of cars, there's... There's everything, new and old. There's a, a Lambo. There's a rat rod. There's a weird Mad Max-looking thing. And the whole spectacle is topped off with a flyover by the, the Bright, Breitling jet team. Breitling? Breitling? Jet, jet team. And uh, they're the largest civilian aerobatic display team in Europe, and they're based out of France. And if you remember, one of the last episodes of Top Gear... And of course, when I say one of the last episodes of Top Gear, I mean the real one with these three. One of the last episodes of Top Gear, do you remember that Richard wins slash loses a race? And so he gets to take part in the air show, right? And they strap him to the top of a biplane. And so Richard's up there in the sky on top of a plane screaming while the others are whining and dining with the people below. Well, that was also this on the side of that plane, it said the, the Breitling, Breitling jet team that was one of theirs so they've they've worked with them before and apparently i read elsewhere that they were um in the area or passing through they had finished up with an air show and it just so happened that they could join them and be a part of that that looked beautiful so the three take the stage and of course they have hilarious introductions for each other for example james may introducing richard hammond you probably can't see him from the back but i assure you he is here it's Richard Hammond! And the vocal growls they give to introduce each other, they would just make any thrash metal singer proud. What, Charles? All right, you can play that. Sure. Charles put together something. Go ahead. James Bay! It's Richard Hammond! It's Jeremy Clarkson! <laughs> Thank you, Charles. Okay, then they play a montage from all the finished episodes coming in season one. Then after the montage, Jeremy introduces the tent from which they will host the programs, taking the tent with them, 
to set up and host from in different locations most every week. So, spoiler alert, if you haven't watched the end of season three, okay? If you haven't watched the end of season three yet, it's interesting to note how short of a run the tent idea had. You know, but but it's more than that, isn't it? Because you kind of get the sense that the tent idea was to modify or improve upon the format they had at Top Gear, right? So they were still using, you know, that's the skeleton of the format they had at Top Gear and then changing that, but only three seasons in with it. And it seems like the trio just realized, you know what? We don't love the work that goes into the studio audience tapings. So why don't we just scrap that whole part and just do the driving and touring thing, you know? So that's an evolution of the, of the format. So, so they went from being in a studio, albeit more of a, a hangar garage to a traveling tent. And now if you heard the announcement at the end of season three, they're not going to do the studio audience part at all anymore. And I'm sure we'll talk more about that as time goes on. You know, I love the fact that these three British chaps who let's face it, right? They enjoy their colonist jokes. They sign up with an American company. They do their first episode on American soil and they go straight to making jokes about the different automotive terminology the Brits and Americans have. And by different, Jeremy means wrong. Okay. Hood versus bonnet, right? Coupe versus coupe. Of course, he points to a truck and asks the audience what they call that. And everyone says truck. And Jeremy says, no, it's stupid. <laughs> Before introducing their first uh, car film, is that what they call it? The car film? They make jokes about how they will try hard to make the show carry. And to prove they mean it, Jeremy says, we're kicking off with this. And a Toyota Prius appears on the screen. And the crowd reacts appropriately with boos, of course, to which Jeremy responds, I agree. Yes, Charles, the audience hates the Prius. Because it's Weak, ugly, and depressing. But you see, the electric technology has now been around long enough. So as Jeremy explains, supercar makers have had time to really start making good use of the electric power to create raw, naked speed. Jeremy believes the best of the hybrid hypercars is the McLaren P1. Richard believes the best is the Porsche 918. And as we find out a little later in the program, James has chosen the Ferrari La Ferrari. So I think it's interesting that the first car film that they do on the first episode of the new show is all electric cars. I remember reading or hearing elsewhere not too long ago that even Jeremy Clarkson admits that the future of driving may be radically different than anything we're familiar with right now. Well beyond just the question of how cars will be propelled, you know, electric or the combustion engine, you know, like but rather, will people even be driving the cars or will it become completely automated? You know, will there even be that individuality of, of automotive identity anymore? How do you feel about that? How do you feel about it? You know, some will say, well, you, do you, is it just the sense of control? Are you, does that bother you that you won't be able to, to be in control? But for a lot of us, I bet I can speak for some of you, maybe most of you, we enjoy it, right? The driving experience. What would it be like to completely lose the driving experience? And it becomes just a, these individual shuttle boxes, you know? I don't know. Well, 
Okay, all right, we went a bit long here because of the whole Amazon BBC backstory at the beginning. So we will pick up here in the next show review segment. All right, thank you. All right, thank you. Now, today I went on the internet and I found this. Ask me to picture my ultimate road car and it might look something like this. I know, I know, I know. The new Top Gear. Ugh. Well, GT Overdone listeners, I assure you, we will never, ever subject you to new Top Gear UK or Top Gear USA or anything lame. It's like they, they try to copy a successful formula, but you can still tell they're just using a formula, right? They try to take something truly special and copy it without the, without the, the key ingredients that made it truly special. There's just nothing worse than some new guys coming along trying to ride the coattails of someone else and the success they've had by piggybacking on the famous names and, um, well, let's, let's, let's move on. I don't want to be too hard on those other guys. Uh, Charles, go to the next segment. Wait, 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 wait. What's, what is that? What? That's the news jingle? Charles, I don't want a lesson on copyright. I just want a professional jingle. How hard can it be? All right, and who would like to hear the biggest sports car news? Now, this news may not be new news to you, but it is big news, so we're going to make a lot of it. After years, okay, decades of waiting and speculating and false starts, Chevrolet has revealed for 2020 a mid-engine Corvette. That's right, a Corvette C8 is about to be released for 2020 with the engine located in the middle of the car, like most all-serious supercars. The reason supercars have the engine in the middle, of course, is because of all the the dramatic difference the placement of all that weight makes in high-performance vehicles. I'm I'm not sure why it took so long for Chevrolet to do this, but there are many uh, insightful articles and videos on the history of the issue. I watched a video by Donut Media on YouTube, and this dude went over all the Corvette timeline, all the times a mid-engine version almost happened. It's very interesting. You should check it out. So, the styling, the styling of this new vet. As you might imagine, it is quite different. So the question that may enter your mind is, did they have to style it so differently because of the engine placement, or was this all a desired style change? Now in the Donut Media video I watched, there are a couple unmistakably classic Corvette cues. And by classic, I mean recognizable, not not vintage. I don't know, I think Corvettes needed a makeover. So I'm good with it. American sports cars, they seem to have a bad reputation for refusing to progress. So, I mean, it's probably a step in the right direction. And hey, Charles, it's less than 60000 It's less than 60000 Now, you and I may not have $60,000 under the mattress, but for a 495-horsepower mid-engine supercar, that price tag is more than reasonable. So love or hate the new Corvette, that is big news in the American sports car world. And a long time coming. <laughs> Oh, man. All right, let's get back to the tour. The three have chosen three. That is, the motoring trio start off the first ever Grand Tour, 
featuring electric cars, hybrid electric cars. Jeremy in a McLaren P1 and Richard in a Porsche 918 go to meet at the international racetrack of Algarve, Algarve in Portugal to, of course, argue about which car is better. You know, it was at this point in the episode, it's nearly 15 minutes into the episode, and I had a strangely familiar feeling, a, a comfortable feeling. That the opening sequence to the show, that was a thrill, no doubt. That was great. But it was here, about 15 minutes into the episode, as the editors worked their magic to introduce Clarkson and Hammond's cars on some twisty roads that are leading to the racetrack. It was here I knew the best of Top Gear hadn't gone anywhere. Their recipe for an entertaining automotive show had not been lost. It had not been left inside the BBC building. The guys were back. Their chemistry was intact. And they still had some of the best AV editors in the biz putting together stunning film. Stunning. What a recipe. It's delicious. So Jeremy and uh, Richard arrive at the track, and they are greeted by mechanics from Porsche and McLaren who set about readying the cars for the track conditions. And while, while their cars are being worked on, they banter about which car will be faster and how their prices compare and different weight-saving measures, the McLaren against the Porsche. And then there's this line of dialogue. Mine does 34 miles to the gallon. It does 94. 94 miles to the 94 gallon. 94 MPG. Just remind me, Porsche's owned by... That'll be Volkswagen. Just silence, just silence. They just look at the camera. <laughs> they just look at the camera in silence. See, in re-watching the episode, I realized I had forgotten all about this, the big controversy that Volkswagen was involved in. And it came to light around 2015, which would have been just before this was recorded. So it would have been still on the front pages it seems that uh, Volkswagen were not entirely honest about emissions and miles per gallon on many of their cars. And for Clarkson and Hammond to put this dialogue in the show, oh, too good. So Jeremy and Richard take to the track, but they start out on the track in each other's cars. And we all know it's going to happen, right? We all know. They'll love the cars, but won't want to admit it. We know it's going to happen. We expect it. And it's still fun to watch. So then James shows up in a lorry, a tractor-trailer truck, with the Ferrari Love Ferrari in the back. And, oh, what a gorgeous car. What a gorgeous car. So now all three go around the track together, each car capable of easily passing 200 miles per hour, each with extremely low emissions, utilizing the newest and best technology. Clarkson labels these three the hypercar holy trinity. First test Clarkson proposes is of course something he knows May can't do in the Ferrari, which is a drag race using only electric power, electric exclusively. The Ferrari can't do that, so May sits it out and Hammond easily beats Jeremy's P1 in the quietest drag race you'll ever see. Then in the next test, Hammond proposes something else that May can't do, which is take his Ferrari on the road. The Hammond says they should drive their cars to their to their lodging for the night to test the cars you know, on a regular real-world road conditions. The Ferrari is not registered, so James has to load it back into the truck. And then, of course, they cut back to James in a riding shotgun in the tractor-trailer truck, trying to navigate through city traffic. It is quite funny. And then it's back to the tent for, again, something new. Conversation Street, the first ever 
The first ever Conversation Street, Richard announces that they want to chew the fat and talk about motoring issues and introduces it. I've come to uh, really enjoy that little thing they do at the beginning of Conversation Street. Um, what, do you, what do you call that? Shadow something? Shadow, I mean, probably shadow something. What I find the most amusing about the shadow thing in this first ever Conversation Street intro is that they didn't do anything overtly funny in the shadow. They just gestured as though they were carrying on a conversation, which is still funny because it's this, you know, staged, manufactured thing they did. So it's just still funny. But here's something I didn't catch the first time around. James actually says right here that they had already made all the variations, all those shadow thing variations for every episode for their three-year contract. So I don't know why. I find that fascinating. I mean, did you think about that? You know, as it goes on three seasons, and I just assumed, because I missed that the fact the first time, I just assumed that they were, you know, making those uh, new shadow things as they went, and they would think of things, but they actually made them all in the beginning, and then just uh, had them all ready for the three-year run. I don't know. I think that's interesting. So Jeremy makes fun of bicycles, and then Jeremy and Richard make fun of James for getting a speeding ticket for going 30 seven miles per hour 37 James got a speeding ticket for going 37 that's a true story what Charles well we didn't quite get we didn't quite get to the middle of the grand tour episode which was the goal for this podcast episode well next uh Jeremy introduces viewers to the Ebola drome yeah okay so listeners we will pick up here in the next podcast Now, before we go, everyone's favorite segment, the Your Name Here segment. This is where we interact with you, our listeners. We read your letters, answer your questions, and even put your voice on the show with our state-of-the-art voice message technology. Charles, what do we have? Right. So, I'm sure there's several ways to get a voice recording to us. And there's obviously more tools are created every day for this sort of thing. But for right now... If you'd like to leave a voice message that may get played on the show, I'm recommending that you use the Anchor FM app to record and send a message. Anchor FM is the podcast platform that we use, and with the app, you can leave a message on our GT Overdone page right from your phone. And you can always delete the app afterward if you never want to talk to us again. And on that bombshell, all that is left is to tell you that Charles wanted us to have an Instagram account. He said that is how you connect with people today. But here's the thing, we won't have enough automotive eye candy to keep that interesting on our own. So, in my brain, I thought, let's have our listeners contribute their automotive pictures, right? What, Charles? It's not crowdsurfing, dummy. You're thinking of crowdsourcing. I guess it's crowdsourcing. So, listeners, would that work? You can tag GT Overdone in Instagram for your automotive pictures. And then those of you who are into things like Instagram can search our name and it would be like a, a listener made collection, right? What, Charles? No, it's not a it's not a tic-tac-toe symbol. I know it looks like it's the pound sign. I know it looks like a tic-tac-toe board, but no one says, I'm craving salsa right now. Tic-tac-toe board, taco Tuesday. 
I mean, do you even... Oh, starting the music, Real Mature. And it's the song you made. Thank you for joining us, Grand Tour fans. In the next show, we'll finish covering the Grand Tour's first episode. This is Crockett saying, make it a great day. I mean, look at him. He's pretty pointless.